0: I told you about the little handout that you have and your bulletin, sola fide, and uh one of the other um tenets that came out of the reformation was um that uh, the word alone is our guide. And um so you'll notice that week after week uh, we are in the word. It is the uh it is the text that's the basis for what we do here. Um, we want to know the Lord, and we believe that uh, the way to go about doing that is by looking into His Word that He's given to us. So this morning, we're in Genesis chapter 42. It is, uh, it's a long chapter, but um, it's a part of the story, and so let's read it together. Beginning in verse 1, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land a person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. And then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are not all the sons of one man. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, It is just as I have told you, you are spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother, and the rest of you will be kept in prison, so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me, so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This They proceeded to do. They said to one another, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened a sack to get feed for his donkey and he saw his silver in the mouth of a sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank. And they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? And they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him all that had happened to them. And they said, The man who is lord of the land spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, We're honest men, not spies. We were twelve brothers, sons of one father. One is no more, and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. And then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, This is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me, so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. And then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they ate and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you've deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. And then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. And trust him to my care, and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will, bring gray, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word this morning. As we come to it, we pray that our meditations upon it and the words of my lips concerning it would be acceptable in your sight. For your glory and for our good. Amen. <clears throat> this is from an article written in April of 2015. Nothing good ever comes from anger. Any goodwill, any goodwill gesture in my book will win over anger anytime. Those are the words penned by Eva Moses Kor, an 81 year old Auschwitz survivor after she was kissed and embraced by a former Nazi guard during her trial. Former SS Sergeant Oskar Groening is being tried in Germany as an accessory to the murder of at least 300,000 Jews at Auschwitz. Groening, now 93, admits that he kept watch as thousands were led to the gas chambers at the concentration camp. Corr, who was subjected subjected to horrific medical experiments at Auschwitz, testified at Garning's trial. On Friday, she approached the former SS Guard in court. Corr wrote an op-ed for the Times of London that she wanted to, quote, thank him for having some human decency in accepting responsibility for what he has done. Groning's reaction, however, took Cor and everyone else in the courtroom by surprise. He kissed Cor on the cheek, and he embraced her. I was a little bit astonished, said Cor, who according to the times of Israel traveled from Indiana to Germany for the trial. It was not planned. This is what you see when you see two human beings interact. He likes me. How about that? I am going back to the U.S. with a kiss on my cheek from a former Nazi. Was it total reconciliation? No. Not at the first meeting, but a solid step in the right direction. And our story this morning, a a similar storyline to this one is developing There's been a lot of water under the bridge. This meeting that is happening between Joseph and his brothers is just the first step of many steps. Remember last week we said it's interesting that the writer of, of Genesis, Moses, is slowing the scenes down. We've had a fast action camera. Lots of life has gone on so far in the book of Genesis. But when you get to about chapter 38, things really slow down. It's because Moses wants to highlight this relationship. He wants to highlight the movement in the story, and that's what's happening. And so we have this morning the meeting. And I want you to see a couple of things about it. First, the meeting is a fulfillment. The meeting is a fulfillment. It is not hard to see what is happening as Jacob's sons arrive down in Egypt. When they get there, in verse 6, what do they do? The first thing that you'll see is that when they arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. These brothers come, they see Joseph, and as they approach him, they bow down to him, their brother. It's a striking turn of events. Because... That is exactly what was in the first dream that Joseph had shared with his brothers all those years ago as he was a, a young lad going out to check on them. And he had two dreams. And one of them was that his brothers were going to bow down to him. Remember, it was that dream that stirred up all of this angst and all of this hatred that their brothers had for them. Actually, they had a lot of hatred for for Joseph anyways because he was one of the favored sons. But now it really increased. Here he was telling them, God has told me in a dream that you are going to bow down to me. What a clear picture we have right here of the sovereignty of God. The brothers, early in their lives, plotted how they could take Joseph out. They despised him so much that they wanted to kill him. And then they thought of just leaving him there in the cistern to starve to death and to, to die a slow death, and then they came up with the brilliant idea no we'll we'll sell him to slave traders, and they did so, and then, down to Egypt, he went and and he traded hands a couple of times and he rose to power in, in the household of one of the guards, and then he was brought low again by his wife, up and down and all around, but through it all through their sin, through their deceit through The wife's, Potiphar's wife's scheming, all of these happened so that these brothers, in the midst of a famine, would show up in Egypt in great need and they would bow their knee to Joseph. It's an amazing story. And it is a clear picture of the sovereignty of God. Proverbs sixteen nine tells us the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Or Proverbs nineteen twenty one: Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Or how about Isaiah forty six, verse eight? Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. And the story that's before us. God's fingerprints are on absolutely everything, all over Joseph's life, all over Jacob's life, all over these brothers' lives, and everything in between. So first, we get to see and we're reminded that this is no accident. This is no coincidence. This is no mere happening. This is God directing everything. Here's the undeniable truth of Scripture. Not a hair can fall from your head without the will of your Father in heaven. We just said that when we did the Heidelberg Catechism. Question number one. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. It doesn't just come from the catechism. Comes from Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, where Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet one of them will fall to the ground, yet, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more worth, you have more worth than many sparrows. Does that comfort you? Does that give you any sense of, he's got this, whatever it is, he's got this. He is in control of this. Listen, when Jesus says that in Matthew chapter 10, if you back up just a few verses, you'll see. That it is completely and absolutely given to the disciples in order to be an encouragement to them. Why? Because in that passage in Matthew 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out. And he says, I'm sending you out like sheep amongst wolves. Right? I'm sending you out into a very dangerous world. And oh, by the way, as you go and you have all that fear inside of you and all of that angst, don't fear. The hairs on your head are numbered. Isn't God in charge? That's what Jesus says to his disciples as he sends them out into the world. No matter where you are, no matter what is going on, one of the undeniable truths of Scripture that is that we see over and over and over again is that God is in sovereign control. He's got this. What that doesn't mean is that it always turns out the way you want it to turn out or the way I want it to turn out. What that means is there is great comfort in knowing that nothing's going to happen to me apart from the will of my Father in heaven, and everything that happens to me is good and is for my, what, salvation. The alternative is that you are in control of your life and your destiny. Or someone else is. And I don't know about you, but the fact that I am in control of my own destiny which scares me. So thankfully, it's just not true. And it's not what this passage presents to us out of Genesis chapter 42. What we see here is that God is orchestrating all these events for the good of his people. Here's the second thing. The meeting is the beginning of a test. Now, when you look at the passage, there are actually several parts to the test that are taking place. But let's just take the biggest part. You'll notice in verse 15 that Joseph is interested in the youngest son. So here he has the brothers before him, and he's interested in Benjamin. They've told him, there are twelve of us, one of us is with our father, and one of us is no more. At least that's what they thought. And so they're in this situation, and they are, uh, they're coming multiple times, three, four times, Joseph challenges them. He says, you're spies. What do they say? We're not spies. I love this part. Like, we're murderers, thieves, adulterers, but we're not spies. He accuses them of being spies. He, he, he throws them into confusion. And then after they tell him about the makeup of the family, he wants to see young Benjamin. Benjamin. Now, why is that? It's a part of his test because he wants to discern what is going on with this family presently. What is the nature of his brothers now? How are they treating his other brother from Rachel? The next favorite. Remember, Jacob has a real heart for the, the boys that have come from Rachel, at the very end of this passage, right, he is, he is in angst about this situation in which Benjamin may go down there. He does not want that to happen. Why? Because Benjamin is it in his eyes. And so Joseph is concerned if i can find out what the situation is with benjamin benjamin it becomes kind of the thermometer or a barometer or whatever right he's the test he's the test strip like if if things are well with benjamin if benjamin is okay then perhaps things have changed in my father's house perhaps the brothers aren't expressing the kind of angst they were when I was there. Perhaps they're getting along. Perhaps they've grown. Perhaps they're being honest. Perhaps they've actually told the truth here. But he wants to know. And so he's going to put them to the test. And so what he does is he begins to create this situation. He tells them, listen, you can send one brother back. The rest of you are staying until he brings Benjamin back. A couple days go by, he, uh, he thinks about it, he says, okay, here's what we'll do. I'm going to put a little trust in you. All of you can go but one, and you got to leave him behind. And you can go home, and you can return with Benjamin, and you can free your brother. The brother that stays is Simeon. They bound him up, they throw him in jail. And then midst of all of that, Joseph has his guys load up all the grain, put it on the donkeys, and the brothers head off for home. And they go, and halfway on their trip, something interesting happens. They stop for the night, and one of them goes, and he gets grain out of a sack to feed his donkey. And when he opens his sack, what does he find? Silver. Why? Why is... Why why did Joseph put the silver back in the sack? You'll notice what happens. He, they are fearful. When he tells them what's happened, hey guys, I went to get the grain out of my bag, and guess what? My silver was in there. And there is fear. Now they're looking over their shoulder, and they're thinking to themselves, oh no, You mean the money that we paid for for the grain is in your bag? That means they're going to be coming for us. That means they are going to accuse us of not paying for the grain. They head all the way home. They tell their father about the situation. Everything that happened, they went through. Listen, we've got to take Benjamin back in order to get Simeon. Jacob is tore up about it. They empty their sacks and what do they all find? Oh, no. All of them have the silver in their sacks. What has Joseph done? Joseph has just ratcheted up the situation. Because what he, is, what he is trying to find out is, will those brothers take the money and run like they did with me? Because remember what happened with Joseph. They sold him for 30 pieces of silver to those slave traders. And so Joseph knows those brothers would love to have a little bit of extra cash. Will they take the money and run? Will they leave Simeon? They've got it. They've got the money. They've got the grain. They have everything they need. Will they now go home and forget about their brother and leave him in prison? In essence, they're asking the question. Joseph is asking, will the brothers do to Simeon what they did to me? And it's a test. Now, in this, he is going to find out what the nature of the sons of the brothers are. At the same time, at the same time, he has increased the pressure In Jacob's household. What happens? Listen, when all of this begins to come undone, verse 35, they're emptying their sacks, each man's sack. There was a pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more and now you want to take Benjamin. To die in that land. The light bulb has gone off in Jacob's head. What happened the last time? The last time these brothers went off and one of them didn't come back, the sons returned flush with cash. Now they've gone off again. And they've returned without one of their brothers. And what are they? Flush with cash. And Jacob's thinking to himself, Who are these boys? What have you done? What are you doing? Who are you? And and it seems as if perhaps it's the first time that Jacob is starting to think, My boys. ...are up to no good. This leads us to our final point. And that is that the meeting... ...leads to reconciliation. Think about it this way. Joseph could have easily given them the grain... ...and he could have sent them packing. He could have washed his hands of the whole affair. He could have said, no big deal. Take the grain... Go back on to your house. Go back to Canaan. Instead, Jacob seeks to find a path to reconciliation. I would just say here, we talk a lot about reconciliation. A, it is the theme of Scripture, really. That God was at work reconciling the world to himself through Jesus. Jesus. So we talk about it a lot. The Bible talks about it a lot. It's part of the DNA of the believer to be reconciled in our relationships. But I will just say here that that path is rarely easy. I thought about this morning. You look at the story. Chapter 42 and chapter 43 really go together. We could have done both of them this morning because 43 is going to answer questions of 40. Don't read ahead. Hey, save it. Let me me help unfold that for you next week. But 42 and 43 go together. It's a seamless unit. But then as I thought about it, I thought, you know, there's something here. Moses has slowed the story down. Let's slow down with the story. And let's think about it this way. If I were to put those two together, it would only reinforce the idea that reconciliation is easy and fast. When the reality is that reconciliation is often hard and slow. Second Corinthians 5.18, the Apostle Paul says, And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I and mean, you listen to that passage, and then you think about this. The Apostle Paul says that God left the sins beforehand, Romans chapter 4 and 5. He left the sins that were committed beforehand. He left them ultimately unpunished until the time of Christ, where Christ would come into the world and he would pay even for the sins of the saints back in the Old Testament. That's the point that Paul is driving home in Romans 4 and Romans 5. It's one of the points. It's a significant point. But when you see that, then you stop and you understand. Listen, God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ, and yet for thousands of years they were without the complete reconciliation that their hearts longed for and that God was pressing towards. And then you imagine... The difficulty of that reconciliation is Christ himself had to go to the cross. And it drives home and it reinforces the point. Reconciliation is often slow and most certainly it's difficult. For now, Joseph is the picture we need. Joseph is the picture we need. He himself has known the grace of God. He himself has experienced the mercy of God. He knows the hand of God in his life. He has seen it. He is apprehending it. Even as he moves to the situation with his brothers. And in all of that, what is he willing to do? Not wash his hands. Hey, fellas, I put some grain on your donkeys. See you later. He's living a pretty good life. Why does he need them? Why does he need to go through this? A lot of us would just say, you know, good riddance. See you guys later or not. And it's all okay. But that's not what he does. He moves to find out, are my brothers different? Can we be reconciled? Can 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 I move forward with these guys? Can something good happen in the midst of all of this? It would be hard and it would be slow, but he begins to take the first steps. A story that I read to you earlier, Eva Korr, the Holocaust survivor, and Oscar Goring. They took the first steps. Let me ask you this morning. Have you? Have you taken the first steps towards reconciliation? Perhaps it's with somebody else, a person, a friend, a coworker, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter. Have you taken that first step? Perhaps it's your relationship with the Lord. Have you been reconciled to the creator of the universe? Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you this morning for this picture that comes to us from the life of Joseph. We're so thankful that you've not left us to our own devices to find our own way. But you've made the way clear for us. And, Father, we want to express our thanks to you this morning for that. And, Father, I pray for those that need to make movement in their relationships. Many of us do. Father, I pray that they would find the strength and the courage in knowing that whatever happens, nothing will happen to them apart from your divine plan. And so would we move in the direction of what's right and good and true and pure? Would we show grace and mercy as you've shown it to us? And then, Father, for those who may be here this morning who don't know your grace and your mercy, Father, would they begin the movement this very day, opening up and confessing their sin and calling upon you, in Jesus' name.